Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Anybody have a man cave here? Right? Okay. Look, Caleb raised his hand. You were the first one that I saw. Jeff, you have a man cave, place that's only yours. Right? Anybody else? A man cave? Joe, you have one too? Kind of nice, right, to have a little space that's yours. Unfortunately, when you have young kids, like I do, you don't get, they invade everything, right? You think that you have your own space, but you really don't. Well, again, so we're journeying with this character, David, one of the most interesting people in the Bible. I would say arguably in the Old Testament, probably the most interesting character, wouldn't you say? I mean, if you looked at the totality of the Bible, maybe you'd say the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. But I don't know, I mean, David, David is is up there. This will be the one message in the entire series that resonates the most with me in my own life where I am. This is one that I have marinated in. This is one that I've been in for so long and studied and studied and studied and OD'd on. And uh, I'm really excited because I think I have a real word for, for us about as it, well, as it pertains to where he is in his story, but where you are in your story. Can we open up with a word of prayer? Lord, I just ask... Father, I ask that you would, uh, you would, you would have us walk into the, these caves that we're going to go visit today. Father, I would ask that we would see everything that is around David. Father, we wouldn't stand on the outside. We'd walk all the way in. We would feel and experience everything he experienced. Father, we would see our own lives in light of his life. And how he related to you. Oh, Father, I didn't come here to just do religion. I didn't just come here to talk about a great story in the Bible. Lord, I didn't just come here to give a good sermon today. Lord, I came here so people could experience you. Father, use the the feeble words. Use the time that I've spent, Lord. Lord, by my own power, I'm powerless satman. But you are, and Spirit of the living God, you have your way in this place today. Have your way over our minds and our hearts. Keep us from being distracted. Lord, may we hone in, may we focus in on your words to us here today. Don't let us leave this place the same. Change us, rearrange us, Lord, but move in here. Move in our hearts, Father. Do something new in this place. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to roll right into it. I would ask that you turn to 1 Samuel 21. And I'm going to start in verse 10. I'm going to move from verse 10. I'm going to go to uh, verse 15. If you haven't been here, let me just give you a very, very brief uh, backdrop to this sermon. Here we, we started five weeks ago and we saw David who was anointed by the prophet Samuel. And Samuel came, remember we said in that first sermon, he was, he was number eight. And he was out in the field and he was kind of by himself. And his parents didn't really want to have anything to do with him. And they kind of hid him away. And then we saw that he was the one. He was the appointed one. It wasn't his brothers. Eliab looked pretty good. Shama looked pretty good. But God was like, no, nah, I got my hand on this one. Number eight, the one that you didn't really think. The one that was excluded, that was marginalized. Now nah, I have my hand on this guy, David. And then we moved on from there. We, we looked at how excellent he was, right? We talked about how he played the harp. And the, 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 the king was looking for somebody. He had a distressing spirit. was looking for somebody to come in and, and help him and play. And they bring this guy, David, who was excellent. We talked about excellence. And then we got into David and Goliath, right? We talked about that whole story. We got amped up with that. And we looked at, 
what, you know, what transpired with the, with the Philistine and how David called on his God. And then the last time we were here, two weeks ago, before Brian Harden spoke, we looked at, and really we looked at envy. And we looked at Saul, the king, what was he throwing at David? Spears, right? He was, and it happened multiple times. Multiple times we see the king, when he was distressed, he couldn't take the fact, he was jealous. Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. And he wants to take this guy out, this guy that he fears, he doesn't know, but we know, right? We know the story that God is calling him to be the king one day, but Saul wants to take him out. And now he's a man on the run. It will be over 15 years from the time he is anointed by the prophet Samuel to the time that he actually reigns in Israel. And there's a, there's a lot to that we'll get to down the road. But over 15 years. Long time and God has him in training. So here he is as we pick up today. He's been, the spears have been thrown at him, but now he's going to be a man on the run. And here's what the text says. I've skipped a little bit. Again, if I was to teach every single aspect of David's life in every story, we'd be here for over a year. I would like that, but I don't think many of you would. So let's start out. Here we go. It says that day, David fled from Saul. No duh, smart man that he did and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Now, the Bible has a sense of humor. If you don't think the Bible has a sense of humor, this is meant to be funny when he says, am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? What is he saying? I think I have enough crazy people with me in Gath. I don't need anybody else. I don't need this guy. Isn't this kind of a weird story? I want us today, listen to me, I'm praying by, by God's power, by his spirit, that I can let you feel what I have felt, that I can take you where I've been in just studying this. I'm going to try my best to, to give you the emotion, to give you a real understanding of what this guy is going through, to set the context, to give you pictures, to give you history, to show you what he was really going through and to make that look or pale in comparison to what we have going on in our own lives. So here he is, right? This is, he is in Gath. Who is from Gath, by the way? Let's just start right here. Who's from Gath? Goliath. Wait a second. You are a man on the run. You're running from King Saul. Where do you go? You go to the enemy's camp. This is like the, this is like Washington DC for the Philistines. This is like their Oval Office. This is like where everything happens in, in Gath. This is their headquarters. This is where David goes. You are a madman. You are crazy. Who would go to where the enemy's camp was? This is nuts. You have to see and understand his state of mind psychologically, emotionally, where he's at, how he's losing everything. 
You know what always bothered me? And I finally got an answer on this. Did you ever wonder if you've read this text before? Some of you have never read it before. You never heard any of this. You don't know it. But did you ever wonder, why didn't they just kill him right now? You want to know why? Are you interested? I have the answer. I have it for you. The reason why was, now not to get into too much history, the Philistine god, their main god was called Dagon. And you see Dagon, this is what they believe. David, scholars say, David looks like an epileptic. He looks like he's having a seizure. He's foaming at the mouth. Right? If there was an actor, by the way, I said this to me, if there was like an actor that was like playing this, can't you see like Jack Nicholson like playing this? Here's David, like just this crazy guy that's foaming at the mouth and he's on the ground and he's rolling around and there's saliva just coming out of his mouth. He gets an Oscar for this performance. So they are afraid of him. And this is what they thought in their culture. They thought in their culture that if somebody was, was doing this, was an epileptic having a seizure like this, they were possessed by Dagon's, Dagon's devil. One of his, so the devil then had gotten inside of David and they're like, we want no part of him because they said that the Philistines believe if you shed one drop of blood of somebody that was possessed by this devil, that one drop would create another devil. And then more drop, it would just create more devils. So what they would do is they would take people that were possessed like this and they would just excommunicate them. You were gone. You were out of the city. They did not want to shed blood. They laughed at David. And they're like, get this crazy lunatic out of here. Does that make sense now as to why they didn't kill him? Why the Bible is not a fable? Why the Bible is not about a, bo- a book of fairy tales? Which some people would say, there's real history that's involved in this. It's a real story from the beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We can bank our lives on it. So here he is, right? Here he is. And then he comes to a place. Let's go to the next chapter. We're going to be here for a while. Here it is, the next chapter, right? Um, we're going to go, to go to chapter 22, just verse 1 right here. And it says, David left Gath. No, uh, he's lost all of his self-respect. The way he's acted like a madman just to live. I mean, smartly, wisely, because he's lived if he didn't. Right? And by the way, did, I didn't tell you this. There's a prior scene Whose sword is he also holding when this whole scene is taking place? None other than Goliath's. Pretty cool, right? He was holding Goliath's sword. You go back and look it up. I don't have time to get into all of this. And there's probably dried blood on that sword. I'm thinking about it all week. What did that look like? The guy that killed the Philistine? How many Philistines he's killed up to this point? A lot! And then he leaves and he goes and he escapes to the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam. And that's where we're going to spend some time today. We're going to go spelunking. You know what spelunking is? Exploring caves. We're going to go exploring some of the caves. But first, before we can go to Adullam, I want to ask us, you talk about stress. Now, I've done this. How many of you have ever heard? I've mentioned this. I mentioned it years ago when I looked at the Christmas story with Joseph and Mary. The Holmes-Ray stress scale. Anybody ever heard of that? If you've taken a psychology class, maybe you came across it. A lot of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. So it's really hard to see right here. It's, the font is, is really small. But you get points. So it, like death of a spouse, divorce, marital separation, pregnancy, da, da, da. you go on. And how about vacation, right? You get points for that because we know the stress that that brings to into, into your life. You get points for all these different events. If you score, you add them up, if you score over a 300, there's an 80% chance within two years you're going to get a serious, you're going to be seriously sick. 
some sort of physical illness is going to hit you. Over 300 points. Can we look at the life of David at this point, where he is at? Can I show us who he is and where he's at emotionally and psychologically? Is that all right? You have some time? Okay, sure. Okay. All right, number one, marital separation, separated from his wife, Michael. That's 65 points. Bye, Michael. Okay, not going to really see her. Fired at work, right? He's an unemployed soldier. Fired at work, I mean, kind of fired. When the the kingstone spears at you, it's kind of like he's telling you to look for a new job. All right, so that's 47 points. In-law troubles, again, right? So he's part of a lot of these. When your father-in-law, I love you, father-in-law, who was up here, my father-in-law spoke today. My father-in-law is throwing spears at me. That's a problem. All right, there's a problem in the relationship, and in, 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 we need some help there. So that was 27 points. Uh, death of a close friend. We have, uh, really, his mentor, Samuel, who had anointed him, died while David's on the run. Give him 37 points. Uh, the James Lecce scale uh, didn't say anything about his best friend, so that's part of my scale. I just added 24 points, because that's what I thought would be good for that. Uh, for his best friend, Jonathan. Your next week's sermon is on the relationship between David and Jonathan. Some of you are going to fall asleep. That's just... I'm getting to the good stuff, okay? Number five, major change in living conditions. He's going to be in caves for, for six years. Six years. Another 27 points. This is just part of the list of what this guy is going through. He is well over 350 points when you add everything up, all of the stress, all of the turmoil that he is encountering in his life. And scholars say, if you take note for six years... He will be on the run in two places. I'm going to go. I'm going to take you back to caves in a couple of weeks in a, in a very cool story that some of you probably know. Can't talk about it now. Stay focused. But um, six years, he'll be in a dulum and another place called uh, Engedi. Six years, he's going to be in caves. Pick that Bible up. Six years on the run from King Saul. Are you with me? So here is this guy who is anointed to one day be king, and he winds up in the cave known as Adullam. Anybody, you ever go to the cave of Adullam? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? No, no. You ever been there? No, I think some of you have. I think some of you have. I've been there. I'm there right now. Kind of living there right now. I have a room there right now. Pretty cozy. No electricity. There's a lot of insects. A lot of, you know, things in there that I, I, I don't want near me, but they're kind of there and things really are tough. You know what a doulam is? A.W. Tozer, he wrote a great book, The Pursuit of God. He has a chapter, The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. It's in the cave of a doulam that we find out who God really is when God strips away everything that we depend on. Chuck Swindoll in his book on David, he calls them crutches. And I want you to look at this. All of the crutches that David can lean on in life, I wish you had crutches that I could use. Can I borrow that? What are the chances that you would have this, right? But I want you to, I want you to see. This is, I didn't think of this, but I, this is just kind of on the spot. I want you to see this. All of the crutches, his best friend, David, gone. His mentor, gone. His wife, gone. His job, his re- everything that you could possibly imagine, every crutch that he could lean on has been taken from him. And I know what he's thinking at that point, and I know what we're thinking. Why is he in all of this trouble? But friends, you have to remember, he's not in trouble, he's in training. And listen, God says... You need to train before you can reign. You need to train so that you can become the king one day. 
And listen, I'm sick and tired of a Christianity that says you're never going to encounter trouble. God is not your refuge from trouble. God is your refuge in trouble. And God says, you know what? I'm going to meet you in the cave because the cave is where I do my best work. Thank you, Dana. But we don't want the pain. We don't want anguish. Get me out of this cave. Can I show you what the cave really looked like? Can I, can I really take you to Israel now? Because many of us are never going to get there. So I want to just give you some pictures. These caves, I don't know what you think of. I don't know what your mind thinks of. When we went to Israel, we didn't see that. We, we weren't out of do it. At top of my list when I go back to Israel, I'm going there. If the guy doesn't take me, I'm going on my own. Okay? Have to go there. Now, here are some pictures. This is one. We don't know exactly. There are numerous tunnels, intricate tunnels and caves. Some of them... 400 feet long, huge cavernous. You, we, I don't know. You probably were thinking like a small little cave and we kind of know where it, no, we don't know because there are so many of them. This is just one. Here's another picture. Look at this going down. Can you imagine sleeping in a cave like that for one night, let alone years? What was it like for a real man to sleep in a cave like that with an army of 3,000 people coming after him. The entire army. Saul is coming for him. The dogs are coming for him. And he's hiding. And he's lost everything that he's ever wanted. All of his dreams are shattered. A doulum is when you get to a place when you realize life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. The job that you thought you were going to get, you didn't get. Maybe you're not married yet. You got divorced. Life doesn't turn out the way you thought it was going to. And you wind up in a cave and you say, God, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Look what your word says. And God says, you have some training to do. I have to train you. I have to strip you. You have to understand. You have to come to a cross first. You have to lay everything down. You have to realize I'm going to work some things out in your life. There's going to be a lot of pain. Pain. There's a cross in our Christianity. It's not a crossless Christianity. There is real pain. There are real obstacles that we're going to endure. But we just want to get to the other side. We just want to be a resurrection people. I'm sorry. That's not reality. Over 15 years, this dude is going to wait from the time he's anointed to the time that he's king. Because God says, I need to train you and I need to purify you. And there are things that I want to do and it's going to hurt. But wait till you see. Wait till you see what, what you look like coming out on the other side. Pick up your cross daily. Unfortunately, we have a, cro- a crossless Christianity. Let me give you one more picture too. You like the pictures? You like the pictures? How about this? What was it like for Saul and his men as they're coming and they're trying to find this guy, David, and they're hunting him and they're hunting him. What is it like for David to be the hunted? You're the hunted and you feel the enemy breathing down your neck and you hear voices in the distance and you hear the dogs barking and they're coming for you. And then you're stuck in a cave. God, where are you? God, are you still here? God, do you hear my cries? God, do you hear my prayers? Can I show you too where he went? This is wild to me. When I, as I was, stu- and this is where I geek out a little bit. Maybe this is a purposeless. Maybe it's not something you really have to know for this one. But I thought it was kind of neat. When you look on a map, look where Adullam is. Right, Adullam is here, and this is where Gath is. So look, he went from Gath 
all the way over here. Notice what he had to cross to get to Adullam. The Valley of Elah. That's where he fought Goliath. Why do I bring that up? Because I see a man that has come to the end of his rope. I see a man. Can't you see David walking through the Valley of Elah going, God, this was the place where you met me. This is the place where I took down the Philistine. You told me I'm going to be king one day. Why am I now headed in a direction I don't know to a people I don't know to a place I don't know where it's going to be so dark. Look what you did before. God, come on. Don't you see me? Don't you remember me? God says, I know exactly where you are, David. I have you in the palm of my hand. It may not look like it, but I have you. Now, what was it like for David when he was in the cave? When he sang, did you know? You don't know. Did you know some of the greatest psalms were written while he was in the caves? Did you know that? Did you know he was a guy, a real man that sat in a cave? Psalm 142, which I'm going to get to you in a second. I have to set the context for you. When you look at Psalm 142, I picture a man that is sitting in a dark, dungy, wet, moldy cave that is disgusting. And he's sitting in this cave and he hears the voices in the distance. And then maybe when they dissipate, he starts to sing. Can't you see him singing? But he doesn't have his harp. Because this harp's back there, and the sounds, they start to echo off the caverns there. They start to echo off the walls. And he starts to sing a song, and he's thinking about where he is, and he's remembering where he was. And he's, oh, I remember those sounds off the mountains when I used to sing. But now he doesn't even have his harp. He'd give anything to go back in the sheepfold. But he's not there. He thinks back to when he was in the palace with Saul. But he's not there anymore either. He's not in the palace. He's stuck in a cave. He'd give anything to have a nice meal. He'd give anything to see his wife. Maybe some of his family. Not all of his family. Maybe some of his family. And his friends, Jonathan. Everything has been taken from this man. And he winds up in a cave. But I love the fact that he lifts his voice. And can I tell you, there's a great book. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. The author's name is Gene Edwards. My mom introduced it to me some years ago. And this is one of my favorite lines in the whole book. Because it resonated with me 20 years ago when I first read it. Look at what he says. He says, drowned in the sorrow of the song. And in the song of his sorrow, David became the greatest hymn writer. And comforter to the broken heart of the world will ever know. Wow. It wasn't when he was on top of the mountain. He became a great hymn writer and he he was there for the broken heart and he still is 3,000 years later because of time he logged in caves, in dark places where you don't know where God is and you're asking questions. With that as the backdrop now, now you can walk into Psalm 142. We know for a fact Psalm 142 was written while he spent time in Adullam. Psalms 34 and Psalm 57, if you want to look those up on your own later on. We also know he wrote those in caves. We don't know if he wrote them in Gedi. We don't know if he wrote them in Adullam. But we know Psalm 142 is when he's at his lowest point. Are you ready for a Psalm sandwich? You ready for a Psalm sandwich? Because this place is dead. You're dead. All right, here we go. Psalm 142, 1 and 2. In Maskell of David, we don't know exactly what this means in Hebrew. Uh, they debate that, and I'm not going to give you all the, what, what they think it means, but when he's in the cave, prayer. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell him my 
trouble. Hmm. Aren't you a little surprised at verse 2? Is that really... Aren't we supposed to bless the Lord at all times and His praise is to continually be in our mouth in Psalm 30? Really? Aren't, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Isn't, aren't we supposed to praise Him at all times? Come on, David, did you forget? David, you're telling me that you're pouring out your complaint? You know what the great Charles Spurgeon said? If David prayed like he did when he was in the cave, when he was on the throne, he probably wouldn't have ever gotten into trouble like he did with Bathsheba. And she's coming down the road. You don't want to miss that. Right? Makes sense. Doesn't it make sense? So here he is in Psalm 142 in the, be- in the beginning of this. And he's saying this. And what really struck me is, why can't we just come as we really are? Why can't we come as we really are? He says, I, I, I lift up my voice to God. With my voice, I make my supplication known. I pour out my complaint before him. You know what the problem is with many of us? We don't complain to God. You complain on Facebook about your problems. You complain on social media. Do you really pour out your heart? No, because we're afraid of the repercussions. We're afraid of what might happen if we're really totally honest with God about what's going on inside of us. And what really strikes me is if God is God and God is omniscient, doesn't God know everything already? So who are we hiding from? Who are we hiding from ourselves? The presence of God is not a place to bypass your emotions. It's a place to process your emotions. For me, it's a place where I process my emotions and I pour my heart out and I pour my complaint out. Why isn't this happening with my kids? Why is this happening with my health? Why is this happening, God? It's a place to be real and raw. You think he's surprised by that? But the problem many of us have is we're afraid again of being honest because we're afraid of what might happen to us. And you know, let's think about it this way. How many of you parents, you fill in the sentence for me. You're with your kids in the car. And you turn around, you've had it with those kids. And you say, when one of the kids is crying, you say, you better stop crying or? Good class. I'll give you something to cry about. Right? You say that. A lot of experience up here. I'm sure some of you have the same thing, right? You better stop before I pull this car over and I'll give you something to cry. And the kid's like, they kind of like stop and, and they start to like, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Did you do that? I was thinking, did you do that as a, he did? No, with us. As kids, I don't remember. Did you do that with us? Did you abuse us? So you abused us? It's all right. It's a place for you to share your feelings and, and emotions. But... I'm afraid, you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid sometimes that if I'm really open and really... God's going to say, I'm out. I'm preaching. No, 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 that's the truth. I'm preaching like I know you. That's the truth. I don't, I know, you know it's true. That's right. You know it's true. Because I've done that before. I look at my life and I, I look at some, you know, I, I, I look at my kids maybe and I go, God... You got to help me here, man. Help me how to, how to, how do I do this? I need some wisdom, whatever. And I complain. And then I think about other people that would give anything to have kids. And then I say to myself, right, Steve, am I preaching? Then I say to myself, this, right? Come on. We're afraid of something. 
really, oh, you want to complain about this? I'm going to give you something really to cry about and something to complain about. No. The presence of God is a place for us to open our hearts and bear our souls about what's really going on. Why do we hide from where, can I just talk? Why do we hide from where we really are? We will never, God, I I felt like this week I was like, you're never going to get to where you want to be until you start from where you really are. Until you start from where you presently are, you're never going to get to where you want to be. Stop pretending. Stop trying to act as if you have to pray, oh God of the seas and the land and the mountains. Hey, that's cool. You can start your prayers that way. If you want to pray that way, that's cool. But you then better get real about what's inside your heart. Because that's what God's looking for. God wants honesty. Be honest to God. Don't hide. We hide from ourselves. Let's start from where we really are, church. Let's start from where we really are. I told you it's a psalm sandwich. Can, we get, can I give you some more verses from this? At the end, I'm going to read you. I felt this morning, to re, at the end, I'm going to read you the whole psalm. It's, it's not a long psalm, but I want to read it at the end. At the end of the sermon. All right, five, five through seven. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. He's in prison. He's literally in prison in this cave. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Here's a man that really just opens up his heart. He opens up his mind. But things, you know what I'm afraid of sometimes too? I'm afraid when I'm, if, I'm, if I'm really going to be honest. There are certain Sundays. This Sunday was kind of easy for me to get up for it and preach. Pastor Linda knows what I'm going to say right now. There are certain Sundays where I'm afraid to almost say to God sometimes, God, I, I'm not feeling this today. I'll tell you, right? I'll tell you once in a while. Am I honest with you? Once in a while. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell um, Pastor Linda, I'll tell my wife. It's hard. I'm like, this Sunday's rough. Tough getting into this every seven days. You got to, you know, you got to get up. You got to have a, a message. If people want something good, you got something good for me today. What do you got for me? You got something good for me today. So I'm afraid sometimes to go, you know what, God, I'm not feeling it today because I'm afraid God's going to shut my mouth and go, you're never going to speak ever again. You want to complain? I'll give you something to complain about. Watch me. It's the enemy. It's the wrong God. It's the enemy. And he lies to us over and over again. You can't be honest to God. Oh, you think God's good? God doesn't have your best interests at heart. And he lies and he lies and he lies. And he tells you, don't be honest with yourself. Don't be honest to him. And certainly don't be honest to other people. Am I preaching? Right? Amen. That's, hey, that's the truth. But I realize when I look at this, Our only safe place is in his presence. Look what David says. You are my refuge. You are my strength. He uses all different words. You you are my fortress. You are my portion. You are my shield. All these different words he uses in the Psalms to talk about who God is. Do you remember what I just said? Look at where he is. He's in a cave when he's writing this, when he's praying this. He's in a dark cave. Everything has been taken from his life. Do you ever get to a, a place, do you ever look at where you're calling, where you, God has called you to do something, but then you look at your circumstances and that there's something just doesn't add up? 
God has called you to do something. But then you look at your circumstances. Look at David. He's called him to be the king. How the heck am I supposed to be a king in a cave, God? How does this work? How am I supposed to be on a throne when you have me here? And sometimes life looks that way. It doesn't really make any sense. And here he is. He's stuck in a cave. Now, can I give you what really hit me as I read this 10,000 times, this psalm? David is not surprised. He's not surprised by the enemies that surround him. Get this. Please get this. He's not surprised by the enemies. that You know what he's surprised by? The friends that didn't. He's not surprised that Saul is hunting him down and wants to snuff out his life. He is surprised by the fact that all of it, where are my friends? Do you remember what he did? This is the champion. He took down the Philistine. He took down the great giant. He's a national hero. Where are all my peeps? Where are they now? Where are you? Has anybody ever felt like this before? You, I was there for you. I helped you move. Where were you when I was moving? We don't fight. We don't have people throwing spears at us and stuff in our day. But listen, it doesn't mean it's not relevant for us today. But how many of us know what I'm talking about? You do something for somebody and then you look at it. Where you have my back. Do you have my back? David is basically saying, who has my back? You can be surrounded by people and not supported by people. You can be surrounded by tons of people, but not really supported. That's where this dude is right here. He's surrounded, but he's not supported. And you think he's really alone as, he, as he's in this cave. But I want you to see this. Look at this in, in, in verse 4 too, going backwards. Look and see, there's no one at my right hand, right? No one's there with him. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Where are all the people? Where are they? And you're thinking at this point, I guess the dude's alone the whole time, right? He's, al- he's just alone in a duel. No one's there. Uh-uh-uh. Look who comes. Watch this. This is comical when you see this. We've got to go back to second, second, uh, 1 Samuel, right? You go back to 1 Samuel. Look at this. In the, in the, this is the second part of the first verse. So the first part was he goes to a duel. Look at the second part. David left gas, gave to the gate of the duel. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went to meet him there. I laughed. I chuckled when I read this. You know why I chuckled when I read this? I laughed because here are his parents. His dad didn't even think enough of him to bring him in on draft day. Right? When the prophet came into town, he doesn't even bring him into town. And here is David, right? David's stuck. He's not in a five-star resort. He's in his last resort. He's in a place that he's never wanted to be. And he's stuck here. And then his family comes down. Oh, Eliab, you're the same guy, Eliab, that yelled at me on the front lines when I came to give you some gluten, buddy. Do you remember me? Oh, now you want to come. Oh, because all of a sudden you need me because I'm pretty good with the sling and I'm pretty good with the spear. So these people come around him. They're not really there to support him. Why do you think they came? They came because they were worried about their own lives. Do you ever think of that? Well, it's true. They're worried the king's going to take them out. And they come down there and they see him. Do you ever have people that just want something from you? You know what? It's, can I be honest with you? Can I just bear my soul? You know what it's like sometimes to even, uh, not in church, but even like to be a teacher? Can I get, like, bring you into teacher world? I love kids that I had like last year. And invariably, it's so far. You know where I'm going with this. Any, every teacher in the room knows where I'm going. I haven't seen this kid in like in five months, right? Then this kid just shows up and they walk through the door and they're kind of sheepish and they like walk through the door. 
they walk to the door. The average person, the average person uses, hits their, uses their phone, touches their phone. Guess what? Over 60 times a day. Was it 60? Maybe it was more. I just read this during the week. Was well, 600. Yeah, 600. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, so I'll have kids and they'll kind of just like walk in my room and they walk in like this. They walk in like real sheepish and they like come up to my desk. You know, and I, this is what I do. I've been teaching for 20 years and I just go, you know, I go, you want me to write your recommendation, right? How did you know? How did you know? Let me tell you why, pal. I haven't seen you in five months. You loved class, right? You said you love class. Then you leave. I haven't seen you in five months. You just need something from me. I think every parent in here can relate to that, right? When your kids just need something from you. I think every friend can relate to this. When people just need something, somebody calls you or I get a text message from somebody I haven't talked to. I got a text message recently, not from somebody in this church, but somebody else. And I knew right away and it was just like, all right, I texted back. What do you need from me? I didn't say it, but in my head, I'm going, what the heck do you need from me? I haven't heard from you in a while. You don't really care about how my wife and kids are. You just need something from me. What do you need? Let's cut to the chase. Cut the garbage. Tell me what you need, and I'll let you know if I can do it or not. Has anybody else ever been there? That's how David feels. I'm preaching. That's how David feels. He has these people that are coming. His family. He has the broke relatives. David got the record contract. David was big time. He's got the broke relatives that are coming. David, you're the king. I'm going to put my lot with David. Yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah. You don't even know who I was. I was out. You never came to say hi to me. You never talk to me. Now all of a sudden you need me. Here is David surrounded by family. And wait, here's the best part of the sermon. You thought this was going to be a really boring sermon. I, I'm setting you up. I'm setting you up. I'm going to unload on you in a minute. I'm going to unload on you. Get ready. Put your seatbelts on. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to hit some turbulence. You're going to need your seatbelts because I'm going to smack you in a second. Look at this. Look at this. This is the verse that I've been waiting to preach on. I got to this point. I made it. If you made it, God bless you. You made it to this point. If you don't have saliva running down your face, you made it. Ready? Here it is. Look, look, look. 22, 2. And the screen, it doesn't want to go to the next verse. You have to go to the next verse. I just told you how bad I want to finish preaching this. Don't make me get up here and don't make me do it. There we go. Okay. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Well, hold me back. Hold me back. The number will go up to 600. He has 400 people. Now, if I'm David, come on, come on, let's be real again. I'm, being, I'm giving you reality. This, I'm trying to give you reality. If I'm David and I'm in a cave and I look on one side and I see all these family members that I don't want to see and they're there. And then I look on the other side and I see some of the toughest thugs that have ever existed on this planet. And I see them over here and they're discontented and they're fighting with each other. And you don't think they were, you think they just came into the cave? They were like, make room, man. Get out of the way, man. Get, get, get out of the way. Man. What are you doing? We take that. Listen, uh, well, I'm not even going to get into that, but imagine what this scene is like as he's trying to, oh, God, this is the team. Really? This is the team that you want to give me? This is my team. I don't want this team. Give me a new team. I don't want to work with these people. And if you don't think he said that, you're, I don't know. You're not with it. He's, there, he had, the Bible doesn't tell us. Can't you see him saying that? God, are you kidding me? These are the people you want me to work with? 
The people that are in debt, great, thanks a lot. You brought your debt into the cave. Oh, you have family problems. You have marital problems. Put all your marital problems over here. Everybody that's in debt over there, if you're discontented about God knows what, you come over here, just hang out. I don't know, hang out in the cave. I don't know what to do with you. God, you got to handle this. I don't know, I'm in a cave. I can't see. This is terrible. What am I supposed to do with these people? That's what it's like. But you didn't jump up and down like that. But these are the words. This is the backdrop to what's going on now. Oh. This is what I've been building to. The same people in 22-2 that are discontented, that are in debt, that are in distress, are going to be the ones that bring David to the throne. These are the same people that are going to be David's mighty men. The people that it looked like are worthless. The people that it looked like they had no talent. They had nothing to give. And God says, these are going to be your knights of the round table. And there are 37 of them. And there is Abishai. And there is Eliezer. And there is Beniah. And I can go on down the list here for the names I can't even pronounce. These are going to be the men, these seemingly ordinary men that God said, I'm going to do amazing things through you. But if you looked on them at the surface, and if we looked at some of our lives here today, you'd say, I can't, oh, who am I? How can God use me? God wants people that are unqualified in the eyes of the world. God says, you're unqualified. I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll take you. So he takes. I'm not done with them. You thought, I, you thought I was done smacking you around with them? No, no, you need, to, you need to feel them. You need to feel them because I changed my whole sermon. Because at this point I said, I have to, instead of just sticking with David in the cave, I have to show the people, I have to show them who these mighty men were. These were his mighty men in disguise. My sister's not here. And shame on her. This is his SEAL Team 6. This is SEAL Team 6. Do you want to read about some of their exploits? You go to 1 Chronicles. Is it 1 Chronicles or 2 Chronicles 11? And 2 Samuel 23. And you see their exploits. You see their exploits. It's 1 Chronicles. Wow. And I want to show you some of the things that these people did. These were misfits in the eyes of the world. Look what it says in 1 Chronicles 11, 22. Day after day, men came to help David. Again, David's like, I don't want these people. I don't need these people. Until he had a great army like the army of God. Are you kidding me? This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Can I tell you? I think about it all week. I'm like, you know what? Y'all can wait online for Paul. You can even wait online for David. Want to meet him one day? I want to meet some of the mighty men that are kind of snu- stuck over here in the corner. And maybe they don't have as much attention. But the Holy Spirit... God said, I want those men, their, their, their names written down in the scripture. I want people to know who they are. 3,000 years later, I want City on a Hill Community Church to know of my warriors and what they did. Now I get to show you what they did. Here we go. Let's start. How about, and this is wild too. I had to show you this. Oh God, I get so excited about this. I'll try, to, I'll try to control myself. Look at some of the names of the people. Look at the names. Zalik the Ammonite. Ithma, the Moabite. These were enemies of the Israelites. Now, David's great-grandmother was Ruth, right? So he had Moabite blood, and we, I talked about it in the first week. Look at some of these people. People came from far and wide to the cave of Adullam 
to, to help this guy rule and reign. Are you kidding me? They were the wrong nationality. But David said, I can use you. They helped him get to the, ki- to, right, to, to the throne. That's just, this is just warm-ups. Do you have a few minutes? Can I get into this? You have a couple of minutes? Don't worry about the Giants. The Yankees lost last night. There's nothing. Listen, the Jets are going to lose to the Patriots. Don't, you're good. Look at the first person. Can I just give you a couple of examples and then give you top five favorite stories? James Lecce, top five favorite stories in the whole Bible. I'm going to lead you there. Ready? Here's the first one. This is the first list of David's mighty warriors. I wish I had more time to give you all of, the, 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 all of their names, but I don't because it would take a couple of hours. Joshua, a Hackmanite. I don't even know who the Hackmanites are, okay? Was chief of the officers. He raised the spear against 300 men whom he killed in one encounter. 300 men in one encounter. And you may go, come on, man, this is a joke. Some guy, oh, he's out in the field and he kills 300 people. Yeah, this is a fairy tale. I'm really supposed to believe this because I know what some of you are thinking right now. I think you leave out when the power of God comes on someone and comes on a people and he moves like he did for Dan Nolan. That, you know what that prayer meeting was the other night? Pastor Linda, you know what that prayer meeting was? There, was? there were partitions like over here and there were just seats right here. I had a picture. This was like, I felt like we were in a cave. And I felt like it was like David's mighty men. There, there weren't many of us. And let me tell you something that broke my heart. I came home and told my wife, you know what broke my heart? There were maybe Jamal and I, there were maybe a couple of people in my age category that were there. I don't know. What am I, am I, are we supposed to carry the whole church moving forward? I saw the same people that I've seen for years. It bothers me. I'm really, I have to be careful with what I say. I'm trying to measure my words, but it really bothers me when we have so many people who don't think that prayer really matters. What's, are you kidding me? Look at the state of things. Stop complaining about everything that's going on in the world. We can make a difference by coming into a prayer closet and praying. We're not going to have real physical swords, but hey, let's pick up. Where's my, how about picking up the sword of the spirit like these guys did and saying, I'm holding on to promises for my church, for my family, for my community, for my health, for my kids, for everything. And I'm not going to let go until I see things happen. I'm going to start, listen, like I do at school, I'm going to start calling people out. Where are you? What are you going to do? Oh, I don't know, I'm mad at you. I don't want to, go ahead, go. Go. I, I, listen, I love you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Tessa Linda always said, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Where are you? We need you on that wall. We need you. I want you there. And I know some of you work. I know some of you have great excuses. I'm not just saying this prayer meeting. I'm saying in general. I'm not saying, where were you? This prayer, in general, where are you? We need you. How about the second guy? People, they had nothing going for them. 12 four, next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai. Great name. The Ahite. One of the three mighty warriors. He was with David at Pass Damum when the Philistines gathered there for a battle at a place where there was a field full of barley. The troops fled from the Philistines. This wasn't a minor skirmish. This was a huge battle. And this is like William Wallace in Braveheart. Where will you go? The one guy says, we will go home and we will live. Right? Jamal knows the whole, the whole movie. But that scene, you know that scene I'm talking about? That's what these guys literally did. We will, we will run and we will live. And they go home. These guys leave. Look what happens. They took their stand in the middle of a field. They defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Can you see David? 
Can you see these two dudes just kind of looking at each other and going, God, they look up and say, God, this is what you want. We're not backing down. We're going to be at those prayer meetings. We're not backing up with our kids. They're not going to get our families. The enemy's not going to get us. I'm coming at you. Let's go. And God brings about a great victory. Oh, I'm not done. They, 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 the Bible gives us more detail about this one event. Look at this. Next to him was Eliezer, the son of Dodai, one of the mighty three warriors. The Israelites retreated, but Eliezer, look at this. He stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Are you kidding me? Where is that kind of passion from the church today? The dude's arm locked. His sword froze to his hand. Where are my people who are called by my name that are going to grab the sword of the spirit, the Lord would say, and are going to start swinging until they can't stop. Where is that kind of passion? That's what God's looking for, church. And you may say, I don't have that kind of passion. You better start praying that God gives it to you. You better start praying that, you know what, God, I want that kind of passion. I want to be like a mighty warrior. I want to be somebody out in the battlefield. I think God was looking over the horizon to and fro. Who that day? Who's going to believe me? Who's, who's going to believe me that I'm actually, who's, who, there they are, there they are. Two guys right there. This David, yes, 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 David believes. Can I give you one last story? I promise I'll be quick. I promise I'll be quick. Can you, can you give me a little more time? Because I'm into this. Here's the last one, right? Here's the last one. 2 Samuel 23, 13, 17. During harvest time, if you don't get moved by this, I don't know. I need somebody up here on the keyboard for this. We need somebody on the keyboard. Barbara, thank you. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephim. At that time, David was in the stronghold. The stronghold meaning Adullam. This is not at the same time. This is another event. Many scholars believe he's already king at this point. So it's a totally different time period, but the event's just unbelievable. And the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. They controlled Bethlehem at this point. They controlled everything. And I have to give you this backdrop. When you controlled a town, a place, you controlled the gate. Nobody was going to go in and out of the gate. And you controlled the water supply. Nobody was going to get to the water supply. You made sure an enemy didn't get there. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Friends, this was a 25-mile round trip in the hot Syrian sun. 25-mile round trip. They heard the king. The king didn't say, you have to go get me some water. This is him being nostalgic. This is him remembering back when he was in Bethlehem. And he kind of just sighed and he said it and he never expected them to do it. But I see these three warriors, the same guys that came there discontented, in debt and distressed. And they said, that's what our king wants. They said, yo, let's go pack it up. We're going out. Seal team six is moving out. 
And they went out 12 and a half miles and they broke through the Philistine garrison. And I picture two of them fighting the Philistines. And I picture the one, the other guy and he's got his, he's got the bag and he's putting the water in it. And they're like, let's go, let's go. And they take off 12.5 miles back. And I bought a picture online. I don't even know how much it was, but I just bought it. I used a church credit card. I bought it. I want this picture framed. I want this picture framed. Because I see David right there. It's David. You're the three mighty men. Here you go, my king. What you, what, wait, what? What did you guys do? What, where, where, where did you go? You went all the way to Bethlehem and you brought me back some water? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You want to talk about devotion? They, you know what they, in Hebrew, you know what they call this? And I want to put the word up. Here it is. Hesed. Everyone say it. Hesed. Hesed is utmost devotion and loyalty. It is loyalty that one would have for their family, a father or a mother. You give up your life for your kids in a heartbeat. It is love and devotion for your enemy. This is Hesed to the umpteenth degree. This is a group of men that say, I will do anything for my king. Your wish is my command. And here's the scene though, friends. David takes the water. Stay with me. He takes the water. He says, I can't drink it. And he pours it out onto the ground. And right at his feet, I see a puddle. And the thirsty ground soaks up all of the water that's there. And I see tears coming down his face. Will the Lord find that kind of devotion here? Will the Lord find devotion like that at City on a Hill Community Church? For a people that say, I will do anything. Whatever the king wants, I will do. Wherever the king says go, I will go. Can I give you one more little piece? This is a little deeper, but on this story. Can you see why I want this picture? This is this, this top five stories for me. If this doesn't touch your heart, I don't know what will. To have this kind of devotion for the king. No, it's tied into us. You got to understand there is a difference between a religious person and somebody who is radically transformed by the gospel. Follow me. Stay with me. Please, please. I'll be brief. A religious person looks at God and they say, what do I have to do? How much, what prayers do I have to say? What rules do I have to follow? How do I get into heaven? What are the things I have to do? They look at God like a taskmaster. That's how they look at God. Somebody who is transformed by the gospel. You know what they say? They say, your wish is my command. It's when you fall in love with somebody. Here's the best part. You fall in love with somebody. It's like when you have a spouse. And my wife totally blew me away. I didn't even tell you this. It's like when your spouse knows that you sigh when you eat some. Oh my gosh. This is unbelievable. Where did you, where did you get this recipe for this dessert? My wife went to a cooking class. Martha Stewart came home. Martha Stewart now lives in my house. And she's, but listen to me, I have food allergies. There's things I can't really eat, but here's my wife. And she's like, but I want to make, I want to make you things because I love you. I want to make, tell me, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? What can I do? It's falling in love with somebody. Do you understand? That's what the gospel is. The King David didn't say you have to go. That's what religion says. You have to do this. 
They only went because they fell in love with the king. And the king of kings and the lord of lords is looking for a people that will fall in love with him. And as I come here, keep it together for me. Keep it together. As I come to this table, I thought about Jesus. And I thought about him on the cross. And you know what scholars say? They say on the cross, he experienced what was known as cosmic thirst. He was thirsty on that cross, wasn't he? The greater David was thirsty. David's descent, the king of kings was thirsty on that cross. You know why? So that we could have living water. So that we could have living water. So that we could experience it. And you know what he said? He, Jesus girded himself. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to go at the risk of my life. I'm going to go at the cost of my life. I'm not going to risk my life. I'm going to give up my life. And let me tell you something. He didn't throw water out on the ground. There was real blood that hit that soil. You want to be a warrior for Christ? Listen to me. You want to be a warrior? It's when we look to what Jesus Christ did on that cross. I say to myself, you know what? You know what makes me get up here and fight physical issues? I get beat down every time I come up. You know what makes me do it? Because I'll go through hell. I'll go through high waters. I'll go anywhere because of what he did for me. He says, you know what? I'm going to pour it all out. And he lays it all out there. He says, I'm going to give up my life so that you can experience real life. And his blood is shed on Calvary. But he wants this kind of devotion. He wants Hesed love. I'm sorry. If you feel like you're lukewarm here today, that's all right because it's in the air. It's everywhere. It's the air that we breathe. It's all around us. I'll go to church for two hours, man. Preacher, man, you almost done. You went a little bit over today. I know some of you are thinking that. I don't care. I really don't. When I ask you for more time, I really don't care. Don't. But we say it all the time. Pastor Linda, I'm her son. I've heard her say it for years. Years. And years. And I look at myself and I'm like, you're doing the same thing for years and years. And I'll continue to do it. And I'll continue to fight. And I'll continue to be a warrior because of what he did. And I want Hesed love in my life. When I die one day, I want people to say, that dude was devoted to the king of kings. When people listen, don't have to cut. Listen, Scotty, listen. I want people to say, I want people to know, I want people to understand. God, what a gift, first of all. Pastor Linda, help me see this. What a gift. Sometimes I'm like, why, do, why did you pick me? I don't want to, and I still don't get it. But why did you pick me to do this? But what a gift this is. It keeps me in there. It keeps me going. It keeps me going after the prize. It helps me to fight the good fight of faith, to keep the faith, right? To finish the race. It helps me to keep going. And I'm going to keep going until my last breath. I'm not going to stop. And guess what? You're not supposed to stop either. You may not be the one that's up here speaking, but there are things for you to do. And he's looking for warriors in this place. He's looking to and fro for people that are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Are you going to be at the next prayer meeting? Are you going to be at the next prayer meeting? Or are you going to have things to do? Are you going to watch TV? What, Game of Thrones is more important? You tell God that when you die one day. I was too busy. I had to watch TV. There were too many shows on TV that I wanted to watch. Really? What do you think God's going to say? Really? It's the truth. I'm just, all, all sermon, I'm keeping it real with you today. 
What are you going to say? What is more important than giving your time to the King of Kings, the one that created you? What's more important than coming to a prayer meeting? What's more important than coming to a Hill House meeting? What's more important than gathering with the saints on a Sunday? I'm not talking about sitting home and listening to a podcast. That's not church. That's pseudo church. That's fake church. This is church. I got to stop. Lord. Lord. Lord, for those people that are in a duelum right now, Father, just minister to them. Minister to their spirits. Breathe on them, Lord. Breathe on them right now. May they feel your power. May they feel your spirit. Oh, spirit of the living God, we feel you in this place right now. Oh, your presence is so thick here. Lord, I pray that this picture that we saw at the end of the sermon would be branded in our minds. Oh, Lord, advertising companies try to brand images. And all these companies, I, don't, I want to be branded by you, Father. I want to be branded by your book. I want to be branded by the stories in here. Father, help us to, to, to realize how distracted we are. Help us to realize how the enemy is lulling us to sleep every single day. All the distractions with our phones, with the TV, with all these things that aren't bad things in and of themselves, but they keep us from the one really good thing, spending time with you. Father, I don't want to condemn anyone in here. Lord, I just want to, I just want to light a fire. Father, I want more people that are serious about being, I want more has said love for you. I want followers like these mighty men that are going to go the distance, that are going to go into enemy territory and are not going to retreat. And we're not going to just complain about problems that are happening in the world, but we're actually going to do something about it and come to a prayer meeting and lift up our voices like David did. Can we, can we just, can we just, can we read that Psalm? Can I read you the Psalm in closing? Can we read the Psalm together in closing? I can't even see straight. Hopefully it ministers to you as we, I, I never do this, but I feel led to do it. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. Oh, I, I, I better hear some complaints this week in my spirit. I better hear some complaints. People that are really honest with God. Don't lie to him. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look at my right hand and see, there's no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Amen. Music team, ushers, you come and do business before the table. You come and do business today. We're not done. We're just getting started. We're getting started. There's more to come for the church. There's more to come in this series. This is an exciting time. You come back. The easiest thing to do next Sunday, the easiest thing to do next time we have a prayer meeting is going to be to stay home because that's what the enemy wants you to do. You're, you're good. You don't need to go. You don't need to go. You went last week. You went the week before that. You don't need church. You don't need any of that stuff. Lies from the pit of hell. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. 
For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.